Hi, everybody. I am Hugh Heisel. I am probably a producer, performer, avid show tune listener, future cat dad, theatrical marketer, and current director of marketing for Broadway Records. Welcome to the world behind the world to come. This is a series of docusodes that will explore the world behind the world to come. So as in docusode number one and number two, we are going to be joined by our illustrious panel of co-creators. I'd like to introduce Rachel Klein, Andy Peterson, and Eric Ransom. Let's welcome them to our virtual stage. Hello, everyone. Hello. 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 Welcome. So in the first two episodes, because we're going to talk about episode three and four now in this docusode, in the first two episodes, we met the huge host of very quirky characters. And we visited each of the five boroughs of Five Borough, as well as the Roost. But in episode three, all of the characters come together and they're all in one place. What were the challenges of recording these enormous, huge, multi-character ensemble scenes, such as the reception at Motorgate Manor? Scheduling. Because <laughs> <laughs> they were all recorded uh, kind of together. It wasn't like you know voiceover work where everybody is in their own space and doesn't really interact with everybody, but that's all put together. So they actually were, Correct. You were all together. Part of the process was trying to keep it as close to a theater rehearsal room as possible so that there was that sense of community and that sense of having seen partners as opposed to just recording your own voice into a void. Right. So yeah, the scheduling was quite tricky with some of these scenes. For those of you who have listened to um, episodes three and four, you know that they're hugely ensemble-driven, large cast scenes. So we we did it and we got through it. (laughs) And it was really, really great. But it's interesting rehearsing and recording on Zoom as opposed to in a rehearsal room because you have the squares, but you only get everybody's like little headshot from their shoulders up to kind of see what's going on and how the people are interacting together. And everybody's got different devices. Some people have phones, some iPads, some computers, and they have their scripts set up in different ways. So the kind of outside visual of what was going on was really interesting and informative. And Andy, what was it like to music direct all of these people in various locations all across the country and the world and have it all sound like they're in the same room? Well, we record each song a different way. So we do it more voiceover styles. So in terms of the big ensemble songs, what I do is I send out a vocal guide track, which is recorded by my husband, Joe Redman. Yay, Joe. Let's give it a plus to Joe. Thank you for your cutoffs, Joe. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, everyone basically like listens to him. I'm really specific with him about cutoffs and consonants and pronunciation and everything so that everyone tries to match up with him whenever we've got more than one person singing a line together. And to be clear, we're talking about cutoffs in the music, not Daisy Dukes or something. (laughs) Correct. (laughs) Although I'm sure he looks great. Can't we be talking about both? (laughs) I imagine some of them are wearing Daisy Dukes below their Zoom uh, windows. (laughs) So, Eric, as you're rehearsing and then going into the recording of these book scenes, Mm. you as as the book writer, were you manipulating and changing and polishing as we go? Or did you do a lot of work ahead of time and workshopping of the materials that was all 
done and, and set. They evolve as we go. A lot of times, even at this point, as Andy is composing new music, it calls for revisions in the lyrics. And I did try to go through everything prior to recording just to make sure everything made sense, everything worked. One of the weird things about this project as a musical theater writer, I haven't had to do this level of world building before. So I was kind of writing the scripts and building the world at the same time. So there were things that weren't identified in the world yet by the time I wrote the scripts, essentially. So I realized like, oh, what if such and such? What if there were extra tribes that live in the subways, for instance? <laughs> but I didn't necessarily realize that was going to be a thing by the time I wrote episode one. So it's just like figuring out continuity kind of things. I just came across those tribes or the, or the mention of those tribes as I was listening <laughs> oh. to an episode before we, we had I thought you came across one of the tribes. <laughs> kind of excited for you. <laughs> yeah, it could be something. We're pretty much in the first third of the season, which is epic and huge. And and so far, we've had some really epic musical moments in episode one and episode two. I mean, huge. I'm just blown away by what has been created. But I would say the, the one that has taken the cake so far occurs in these episode three and four. But one of them is the Fellowship of the Five Borough. I and mean, that's that just pretty much takes the cake when it comes to epic. What were some of the inspirations for that particular number? I think musically, a lot of it is centered around the kind of film Hans Zimmer kind of style score. So like epic Hans Zimmer. tom drums and like huge soaring strings is how I envisioned it. And then knowing that Tara Martinez and Justin Sargent are going to belt their faces off, like oh just God. adds to the epicness of it. Didn't he say that he records in his crib? Was that him? That was Justin. <laughs> and it was just the one time. But yes, he used his, his infant daughter Luna's <laughs> playpen to make a fort <laughs> proud soundproof room <laughs> i knew that but as i was listening to the song i just is, is he like wailing inside this crib right now because he has a like he goes places and he must have like amazing um like <laughs> breath control to be doing this in a crib and i was just kind of yeah he went to andy's crib to record that. oh well that's that's good andy is his, his own crib and i won't ask about that lots of cutoffs in there <laughs> So in episode three, there's a gigantic Broadway number that uh, is, it seems like a little nod to something rotten. <laughs> was that an Easter egg for your listeners who are serious musical theater fans? At first it was not, because I'm not familiar with something rotten. I didn't see it. I, I hadn't heard the music, but I guess the concept was sort of similar insofar as I believe having listened to it since I was told about the similarity they have a character of Nostradamus who foresees musicals and has a number called a musical or musical or something. This song was also called a musical, completely independent, because in, obviously in our story, the cardinal claims to have a vision of a movie, which he converts into a musical. So I believe it was Andy who pointed out first the similarity. <laughs> and then I listened to the, the song and I, I, I see the parallels and I was like, you know what, let's just hang a hat on it. <laughs> Right. So there is like the something rotten line that uh, I believe Danielle says. Something rotten, he sees it in the future, whereas here, we're, we're, this is way past the survival and uh, Broadway has gone into the ether and somehow he sees a vision of what was and kind of reconstructs it with what he thinks in his fantasy world. Uh -huh. And it's, 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 really, it's really very funny. So yay, that was one of my favorite moments. <laughs> well, I'm a fan now, <laughs> now that I've heard it. If I can just add real quick to that, I mean, just that the show itself, the entire series is a big love letter full of pastiche. Yeah. I mean, we're paying homage to so many different genres. So why not pay homage to the actual genre we are? 
which is exactly. musical theater. True. We've got some more Easter eggs for musical theater fans coming up. Oh, I love Later it. in the season, I promise. And uh, coming <laughs> up with uh, in our next segment, I want to I want to learn more about the tap dancing sound effects <laughs> in that particular number, which actually they went to Roosevelt Island to record. I can't wait to dive into that. Yeah. Excellent. So uh, now we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back. We're going to introduce some of the stars of the world to come. See you soon. I'm resurrecting Broadway. Could it be true he's seen a movie? I really did. I have been blessed. How can this miracle be real? Just wait to see my sequin first. Maybe he's really seen a movie. I've answered this. Can we move on? How can this be? What is the deal? And I'm as graceful as a swan. Dance break. All right, everybody, we are back, and we have some special guests with us from the cast of The World to Come. I'd like to introduce Kate Hoover, Remy Germanario, and Louis Villabon. Hello. Hello. Hi, Hughes. Hello, you wonderful people. So hi, guys. I happen to know all of you, but your work in The World to Come is exceptional. Thank you. Thank Did you. you feel how special this project was as you started to learn about it? Did you get that sense? Because I certainly feel it, that it's, this isn't anything, you know, usual. or Honestly, the first time that I read the first treatment, I thought, whoa, this is massive. And it felt epic immediately before I even knew there was going to be a cast of, what is it, 21? 21. Yeah. It just felt like huge in scope. And, you know, we've all been part of projects that you're excited about and you're like, oh, man. But I can honestly say of everything I've worked on, this is the one I'd love to like just go for the gold and shoot to the top because I'm really proud of this project. You certainly go for the gold in this. <laughs> you all you all make some leaps that I've I've not seen you make in your professional careers because you're all wonderful and I love you all anyway. Kate and Remy. Hi. Hello. Hi. Hello. Hello. So, hello. So, um, hello. How's it going? I'm I'm fine. How are you? (laughs) Oh my God. So, you are like this amazing comic duo. You know, you play uh, Millicent and Jasper Knickerbocker, who are delightful and delicious. And do I say delovely? Sure. (laughs) You are heads of the Hepburner faction. Have you worked together before? Because it seems like you are just this natural couple that. You know, you could take on the world. I've uh, never seen her before in my life, honestly. I don't know him. No, yes, we've worked together several times. We have worked together uh, before uh, on a project with Rachel and Eric. That's where Kate and I first met. We also played a comedic duo there, too. We played a bunch of different roles. One of the roles we played in that previous performance was this kind of like old-timey 1920s kind of couples. Like mid-Atlantic accents, yeah. Like our names mm-hmm. were literally like Agnes and... Buddy, buddy, buddy. buddy. Oh, gosh, how can I forget that? Yes, buddy and Agnes, so. I felt very honored that Rachel and Eric and Andy thought of us uh, for this goofy, silly, over-the-top couple that uh, is very, I, I, I love it, who just like sits in that old ho- 
Hollywood genre. They're so zany and- And incredibly racist. Let's just face it. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> incredibly racist. Yes, but you know, somebody has to be the villain. Yeah. Or like the antagonist, but we're like the goon antagonist that everyone's like, no, they're not really like, you know, whatever. They're not good, but- You'll, you chuckle at it. We're him. like the bullies in Hocus Pocus. Yes, exactly. Oh, okay. Yes. It's like the main villains are the Sanderson sisters, but then there's like the second tier of like the bullies. That's kind of who we are. Yeah. We're not quite Rita Repulsa in Power Rangers. We're like the two goons that are like underneath that, you know? <laughs> We're like a Bebop and Rocksteady in Ninja Turtles, kind of. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, my God. So, uh, Louie, hello. Hi. Talk about villains. Oh, my God. So, uh, you play the Dastardly Cardinal, uh, as well as the Latin heat-filled Rodrigo of Boogie Town. That's right. And I love the way Rodrigo runs. <laughs> Thanks to our sound design team. Oh it's my brilliant. god! I could just picture those little tiny heels on those little tiny boots that Rodrigo is, is Cuban running heels, around Cuban in. Cuban heels. Thank you very much. Yes, Cuban, Cuban yeah. heels. Yes, you're delicious to listen to. And I, at first, I didn't know it was you that was oh. playing it. And then, because because we're friends, and it was like then I looked at the cast. I was like, oh my god, that's Louis. Oh, he's um. <laughs> Because I, did, I didn't hear you in it. I didn't hear your voice. Acting. Um, acting. Acting. So, uh, <laughs> I mean, it's so, these are so big, all these characters. Louis, did you know what you wanted to do with the roles at the beginning? Or did that evolve as you went into some of this workshopping and rehearsal? Tell me about how the Cardinal came about. That's a great question. Well, I'd like to address Rodrigo first. I, yeah, I recently yeah. worked with a very famous Spanish actor. And uh, and I lived with him all summer last summer, and so I. Decided, Are we going to drop a name, yeah, or we're just going to pretend we all don't know who this is? Who do you mean? I, I worked with Antonio Banderas last summer, and I read the script, and I was like, "There's no choice. I'm going to just do my best, Antonio Banderas." Duh. Now I can hear it. I could definitely hear Antonio Banderas in Rodrigo. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. He inspired oh, me for that role. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And so in terms of the Cardinal, you know, I two summers ago got to play one of my dream roles, which was Frank and Furter in the Rocky Horror Show. And I've always loved the way Tim Curry speaks in his specific accent as Frankenfurter, Dr. Frankenfurter. And I also always loved Stewie from Family Guy, right? So I thought, all right, <laughs> I'm going to do a mixture of Fra Dr. Frankenfurter and Stewie. And then we started to record and the brilliant Rachel Klein said, that's good. Now try something else for me. Try. And we went through different cycles. Like give me a little bit of Jeremy Irons, a scar mixed with, and then we ended up landing on Paul Lind as the Wicked Witch in a yes. Donnie yes. Marie Osmond sketch. Yeah. I couldn't put my finger on it, so thank you for saying that. It's so yes. You're welcome. Well, thank Rachel. I have to thank my husband because he is the one who has showed me not only that episode, but all of the Donnie and Marie specials. So... <laughs> Paul Lynn in drag is not a stranger in this home. Oh my God. And the roost really is the center square of Five Borough. Yes. Genius. That is genius. Although we don't necessarily <laughs> consider Roosevelt Island as a center square, but for this world of Five Borough, <laughs> it definitely is. Oh, sure. Center square is quite, is quite a pro pro. Let's talk about the huge musical number in episode three, this callback to the evolution of creating musicals out of fantasy, and that it turns into this gigantic production number with dance breaks. 
<laughs> there is actually a tap number because of course there has to be in this gigantic Broadway production number. And I understand that you didn't just do this little tap dance like with a microphone in your house. You actually went somewhere to do this. So tell me the whole story. Yes. Our brilliant sound producer, Mike Luneau, had this inspired idea to film what I as an actor might go through in preparation for playing the Cardinal. So of course we had to go right to Roosevelt Island and the Octagon. And we decided to have this faux rehearsal and video of me at Motorgate Manor replicating all of the ensemble tap sounds. You know, I, I do want to mention that when I first heard this song, the brilliant Andy Peterson arranged the music in such a way that I saw choreography immediately. Yeah. And this is way before there was any idea of including tap sounds. And I just, as a choreographer, I wanted to just choreograph the number. So I did it anyway in my house huh. before I even knew this was going to happen. <laughs> because how can you not move to Andy's music? Well, Louis, how can you not is the, is the real <laughs> statement. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, so we decided to go do some tap sounds over there. And we recorded uh, the tap sounds on this tiny little three-quarter inch plywood board. And, you know as you do. And it was uh, great fun. I think we need to bring in Mike, who is the brilliant audio producer of The World to Come. Hi, Mike. Hi, everybody. Hi. Tell me about this idea you had to go beyond just what was everybody's home recording studios and actually do this inspired dance on location. Well, Hugh, first and foremost, I'm a drummer. As a theater musician, I primarily work with people who sing and people who dance. And I've spent a significant portion of my life in dance studios accompanying dance classes. I just thought, what about the dancer's plight in this moment? You know, I can no longer go to these dance studios and be in the same room as these people who are working harder than anyone, honestly, dancers in general. And I missed that. And I thought, well, Louis seems fun. We've never met in real life. <laughs> and this number that they've delivered to us literally has his character saying, dance break. And then there's, you know, eight bars or whatever of a dance break. So clearly we have to hear the dancing. Yeah. And why not go right to the source and breathe the air of Roosevelt Island and have the experience that the Cardinal would outside of Motorgate Manor, which Motorgate Garage is a real place. That's the other thing that's really fun about this show is you can go wow. to these places <laughs> and imagine the action happening there. And so Louis was game for it, and we recorded it with a microphone. My wonderful boyfriend, Brandon Ivy, is a professional camera operator and director of photography. So he was down to film this experience and also to edit the experience into a video that we've posted on our social media. And it was super duper fun. And I got the satisfaction of working with a dancer and saying, oh, yeah, that's great. Or, oh, let's try that again. Or, oh, yeah, wait, you want to start here? Is it? Well, no, I just want you to dance the whole thing straight through. You want to do sections? Is it easier to do sections? I got to have that collaboration and that exchange, which is something that I've completely missed during this ridiculous quarantines. Did you go a little further and say, oh, no, no, no wings. Give me wings. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> well, you want to know what I did, Hugh? I had him dance on a raked concrete surface. It's true. And I hadn't danced so long for a project that I didn't complain at all. Right, Mike? Right. No, there was zero complaints. <laughs> 
<laughs> no, but I will tell you what, what Mike did do is he was very specific about which ensemble member I was tapping in which take. Or this is the female, second from the left. Now this is the lead male ensemble dance captain. I'm like, oh, well, that uh -huh. tap sound has to be different, obviously. <laughs> so I was super happy <laughs> to work with Mike. And Louie has played all those roles in the past. So uh... <laughs> Exactly, exactly. <laughs> they cut Millicent's out. Because she just wasn't going to Yeah. Kidding. Well, there was Susie, who was the female ensemble track seven. And she, like, mostly knew the steps, but she had to watch the girl in front of her and to her left, who is the That's dance right. captain. Well, the co-dance right. captain. Right. Louise, obviously, the dance captain. So she was a little bit behind on her top sounds. Yeah. Yeah. She was just a little bit off. Was there a swing? Was this, like, the first time in the show and they had to go on without any rehearsal? Oh, that was Millicent. <laughs> that was, yeah, that was definitely Millicent. Millicent was like she was. She didn't even wear taps. She was like just soft shoeing the whole thing and like <laughs> trying to like fit in with the rest. Like I can do it too, y'all. Hey, she's a strong mover. She wasn't actually on stage. She was in the wings, kind of marking it, imagining <laughs> that she was, you know, downstage center. <laughs> oh, hilarious. That's hysterical. All right, so I want to talk about the recording process for each of you and your home studios. So what was it like? Was it blanket forts or did you have a professional studio? We understand another actor had a crib that they crawled into. Like, tell me about your home studio. I had a blanket fort. Like, I literally converted my closet. Well, I, I, it was like, yeah, like a little bunker. I took all of my clothes out, laid them on my bed, I had like these grips that I bought, like literally industrial size clips that I would like clip different tarps and, and any sort of blanket that I had and made a little tent. Yeah, And I basically just squished into there and I had like two stools that I would like set up and that's where my computer went. And this was summertime. I mean, this was in the heat of the summer, right? It sure was. It sure was. <laughs> You'd be amazed how fast a closet gets very warm. I imagine. Every time we'd get done with a take, I'd like open it up and just, whew, like air it out, you know, just my, my goodness gracious. Uh, yes. How about you, Remy? What was yours like? I didn't have a fort or anything. I, I had a big conversation with Mike. I just, cause I have a good microphone, but it was funny right before the pandemic, I decided to like downsize like technology wise and get rid of my laptop. So like, I just have an iPad and then the pandemic hit and like, everything's on zoom and so like the, my capabilities were like a little smaller but mike helped me download a good sound recording app which you know worked well with my microphone and thankfully my bedroom which i'm in right now has fairly good acoustics so i didn't have to um have like a fort or anything like that i just kind of put it on my bed um to kind of cushion the sound a little bit but it was always so funny especially with the people who i would read with a lot which would be kate and carson robinette who plays our son chip i would just be like sitting in my bedroom and they would just be like like, hey guys, um, just uh, you know, hungered like, like just like, covered in a bag. It was just always so funny <laughs> to see them on the screen. So I I didn't have as, as intense of a a sound recording. For those of you listening as a podcast and not watching our YouTube channel, basically they just reenacted it, um, and they looked like Luke Skywalker in the Tauntaun carcass for you fan size out there. Yeah, really. Just... <laughs> and for me, Hugh, I spent my summer like going from Woodstock, isolating Woodstock, Fire Island Pines. So it was like the closet tour of the Northeast for me. Did they send you back in the closet? Honey, I hadn't spent a summer in a closet since 1991. <laughs> oh my God. What was so funny about Louie is that before we started recording, when we were just like doing the read throughs, just to like hear the words out loud, Louie, I think once was fully on the beach. Oh yeah, <laughs> just... he was like by the pool with like a cocktail 
cocktail in hand and just like, I mean, like, just this gorgeous view of like the pines and, <laughs> you know, meanwhile, we're all in the city sweating our pants off. Speedo, Golden Town. <laughs> on oh my the ground. It's fun. Louis just knows how to quarantine. He For knows real. how to quarantine right. <laughs> Let's talk about developing the characters. Louis talked a bit about how the Cardinal developed and how Rodrigo came about. Kate and Remy, tell me about Millicent and Jasper, was there a development between the table reads and the recording? How did those two characters come about? Well, I mean, I, it's it's honestly, because again, we, we'd had this experience playing, maybe not nearly as like racist characters in the past, but we, we, we played similar characters before. So we kind of had that experience with it, but it, it just sort of, I, I don't know. I, uh, I, I saw it as just kind of a, a fun chance to sort of, they always say that it's fun to play the villain. It's always, you know, a blast because you get to just be ridiculous and, you know. Yeah, I don't know. Like, uh, I just took note of all those, like, old timey, you know, like, Mae West. Like, oh, come up and see me sometime. Yeah. And th- just watched every sort of, you know, like, Cary Grant film and... Yeah. Hubby, what do you think? <laughs> well, A, first of all, what you said, just having played a similar character before, especially with you, you know, like, I feel like Eric kind of wrote these roles knowing our voices and how we acted, you know, together, just having done it before. But kind of like what Louis was saying earlier, I think because it is a podcast and because these characters are more over the top, they are a little bit outside the realm of reality because the show is meant to be very fun and campy um, in that way. I started with the voice and the voice just informed everything like that and the original character description for Jasper, Eric wrote, you know, very, you know, James Cagney, old Hollywood, Jimmy Stewart. So that's just kind of where it came from. And then the rest just kind of fell off from there, you know? So I think because this is an audio project, the voice just informed a lot of that for me. And then I do sketch comedy a bunch. So I just think that helps create the character a little bit, just, you know, really being able to go to a more extravagant caricature of someone and being able to, you know, make fun of myself within that, I thought that's just where the gold was for me. Yeah, definitely. Like Remy and I both have experience with like improv acting and kind of being able to just play off the cuff. And like, especially, I feel like we work very well off each other so we, we can play off each other. And we do- Suit yourself. We would always have to do like two extra takes cause we like add little ad libs in here now and then. And like, Rachel would have to be like, all right guys, we got to stick to the script. That was hilarious, but- <laughs> That's a very good Rachel impersonation. I love it. Anytime Rachel asks me or Kate to improv, I'm like, be careful what you wish for. You asked for it. The joy of this is that we can edit it in post. So I get to listen to everything and have the best time. And then Mike gets to cut it out. So it says what the script says. It's perfect. Yeah. (laughs) It's a a win-win for everybody. I have a question for Andy and Eric now. Just in terms of the process, this is a very condensed creative process where you're creating very quickly and then go about to record this and keep on going and then the editing and adding it all, all together in terms of the cart before the horse or like which came first chicken or egg was the entire season one written before we start a rehearsal or did you get to see the actors create these characters and then evolve them and then that fed into your writing well the actors are certainly correct that i did it sort of have them specifically in mind and knowing what they had done in the, the previous project where they played kind of similar characters. They had like this running joke because in that script, I had also written Man Alive, 
like that old timey like exclamation uh, man, alive. man alive man alive man alive as we continued to work together like they always had this little like running gag where they would just exclaim that to each other and so it was sort of like <laughs> i guess an easter egg for them that these roles <laughs> just us <laughs> it was a lot yeah i was going to say no one else got it but uh... and the other thing that i'll say that's sort of piggybacking off the last uh conversation is that one of the important things in this medium is the distinction of the characters. And that's why there are, like, in addition to the campy reasons, that's why there are so many accents and impressions and stuff, because you can't see people, so it's important to distinguish people. As for your more recent question, Hugh, we did readings. I wrote the first four episode drafts, and we did a reading. And basically, like, we did a reading after every four episodes, but we didn't start recording until the entire season was written on on my end. Okay, Fantastic. Although that's not entirely true of music, which Andy can speak to. Yeah, I guess in terms of music, the music is still at this point being written for the last couple of episodes. I'm still writing songs uh, at the moment for episodes 11 and 12. So I have the benefit of actually being able to get rough cuts of those episodes to be able to hear the actors and how they're interpreting the characters and then be able to like build the song from that so I've had that benefit of being able to like know and listen to what the actors have done to then create the music to extend their emotion. Because that doesn't always happen in the world of creating a, a stage musical. The creators are in their world and yet there's development readings and workshops, but to actually have the actors create these finished, beautiful performances and then that have them form the writing. I think that's really special. Yeah, it's a real collaboration. Like we're all yeah. kind of just like building this world off each other. Everyone brings something different. Right. And then we just play off that. Love it. It's like so much fun. Well, and, and also just as an actor, just like reading Eric's dialogue and lyrics and, you know, hearing Eric and Andy's music and Andy's freaking incredible orchestrations. Like they've created a, a soundscape, like a theme for each of these characters. So it makes their amazing writing and musicianship, Andy and Eric, just makes it easy for an actor to get into these very unique roles. Stop it. <laughs> it's true. Okay. It's Are, absolutely true. Yeah, for real. So it sounds like you loved the, the whole process, right? Oh, yeah. Yes, you loved everything. But do you have any favorite moments? Let's talk about from episode three and episode four. Any favorite moments? I do. I'll jump right in. When we meet the character of Ripley, and she just sighs. And I, I feel like the underscore underscoring in that moment leading up to her main I Want song, it just evokes so much imagery. And look, we can't be in the theater right now. So we have only our listening skills, right? It paints a complete picture, much like the choreography for the big musical theater number. This is a number and a moment in which I could just see the entire visual. And we're not limited to any budget of any kind, set, <laughs> costume, we have our imagination. That's one of the things that I really treasure about this podcast. And what makes it such a unique experience is I see everything. It's surprisingly visual, thanks to all of the elements that the creative team has so carefully and deliberately crafted. Right. How about Kate and, and Remy? Do you have any favorite moments from episode three or four? Our two characters have a son named Chip. And I, I freaking love the actor Carson, who plays our son. He's, he's just the sweetest, most precious little thing, and his character is just so darling. Like, it makes me such a, like, a, a proud stage mom to, <laughs> to call him my son. He sings this really touching and beautiful song in episode four, where it's all about him, like, talking about not fitting in, and, I mean, it's relevant in, in a lot of different ways, but it's, it's just such a touching and beautiful moment. Because up until that point, like, he was this very sort of, like, 
shy, quiet, you know, sweet little boy, but this is really kind of a moment where you get to see the inner workings and like what he's feeling and what he's really going through and just like, you know, his turmoil and everything. And it's it's just, such a, it's a really special moment. And the song itself, again, props to the brilliant Mr. Peterson and Mr. Ransom is just gorgeous. It's, it's yeah. like the first time I heard it, I like definitely got like emotional because it's just that kind of feel, you know? And for anyone who's been an outcast, you know, in any circumstance where it's felt that they didn't fit in and sort of unsure of like where they belong, really, it's quite something. So that's been like a, a really big highlight for me in, in episode four, for sure. Remy, how about you? I agree with you too, Kate. I loved Carson's song, Our Little Boy's Growing Up. Oh, a little baby boy. <laughs> Chip. But uh, yeah, Carson's songs was, it was so stunning. I loved Louis shenanigans in these episodes. <laughs> I'm so excited to see oh, what yes. the Cardinal <laughs> continues to hold. We love the Cardinal because he gives us our friend Zia. Our barefoot and, vineyards. Uh, Bare, barefoot vineyards. My barefoot vineyards. <laughs> Justin Sargent has, I think it's in these two episodes, that incredible, powerful, he's he's just so talented. Yeah. And uh, as mm-hmm. far as the Jasper and Millicent in these episodes, I loved reading Eric's old-timey sexual innuendos. <laughs> in whose endo? <laughs> <laughs> Me getting to play with not only a, a transatlantic accent, but trying to act drunk with a transatlantic accent, like, your father's a big man, yeah. I love it. <laughs> Acting. I also love at the end of episode four, when Lucas and Chip have this moment together yeah. before everybody goes off to bed, it seems like he has a real sincere connection with somebody where he hasn't had that before, mm. yeah. which surprises him. And then he kind of goes with it. But then we're left thinking like, what is what is going, is there going to be more between them? Or is it like Big Brother? Th- we don't know how to find out in episode five. And we're not going to say, I don't know. I'm dying to know. <laughs> listening audience, I do not know what's going on in the rest of the season. So I'm listening along with you. So we're all in the same boat. <laughs> Well, thank you, everybody. Does anybody have any projects that they want to plug? I'm joining the Broadway Podcast Network as co-host for their hit video podcast, My Broadway Memory which is a very fun talk show. Who I'm joining as host is my boyfriend, Michael Kushner. I'm joining him as the new co-host. Um, it's great what the concept of the show is, is that you know we bring on people in the theater community, Broadway stars, some past guests have included like Alice Ripley, Mary Testa, Jackie Hoffman, Colleen Ballinger, who's Miranda Sings, Todd Hall, many, many more. And to keep Broadway alive during this time, we pull playbills from our collection at random and we talk about the memories associated with them that's the basis for it but it ultimately just turns into just a big musical theater love fest between us so i'm going to be joining that in december so check that out at uh, broadway podcast network Fantastic. and i do i'm a stand-up and sketch comic and i do random shows here and there so you can find me on social and look for there fantastic i've been hosting a cabaret for Uh, about two years now and we used to do it in midtown at 53 above broadway but of course with covid we've been doing it virtually and it's literally a geek themed cabaret it's called the cosplay cabaret and so it's like imagine every kind of fandom or nerddom you can imagine just condensed into like this amazing like hour and a half show and we've been streaming it live on youtube and so we have one once every month i've actually performed at least one of eric ransom's works on it before um i got to do a great terminator song that he he wrote that was so much fun <laughs> from the, the terminator, terminator two-sicle. Two-sicle. Oh, doesn't exist my so favorite good. you are a brilliant sarah connor gosh <laughs> me and those amazon bought cargo pants 
but we have one coming up, but by the time this airs, it'll probably, you know, it's on the 19th of November, but it'll have already happened. But there is another one in December, and the one in December is, like, 80s themed. So imagine, like, different geekdoms and, like, nerddoms of the 80s. And that could, I mean, you know, you could do something from, like, even Top Gun, whatever you want to do, you know? Again, it's it's any kind of nostalgia that you you want to perform in. Um, I think we're, I mean, yeah, I'm not sure the actual date, but it's sometime in December. And if you go on to the Instagram page, it's literally geek life rules, all one word, and you can find it. It's the cosplay cabaret. So that's happening in December for me. Yeah. Louie, how about you? I'm in this uh, incredible original musical podcast called The World to Come that I really want to plug. <laughs> heard about that. <laughs> no, honestly, uh, this is what I'm, I'm focused on right now. And uh, I'm doing a lot of teaching. So if anybody wants acting or voice lessons, get in touch. Well, that's great. <laughs> on Zoom. Speaking of next episodes, this happens to be the final docusode of this series because coming up next is episode five of The World to Come. So uh, this has been the final docusode of uh, The World Behind The World to Come. Please follow us on social, on Instagram and Twitter. It is at w to the numeral C musical W2C musical and facebook.com W2C musical and if you'd like to support the project and these wonderful artists who did this as a labor of love please subscribe to our Patreon page at patreon.com slash W2C musical and to find out more about the cast crew and the creative team please visit the world to come musical Com. Now, there's something I want to plug. So we've been a little sad, uh, generally, because Broadway is not coming back until m- mid-next year. Um, so um, this has been created to help fill the void. But I also, uh, as marketing director of Broadway Records... Uh, we've created this gigantic sweepstakes where we're not going to take the depressive view that Broadway is is not coming back for a long time. We're going to look forward to the future when Broadway will be back. That day is a sunny day, and it's going to be in the not-too-distant future. So we are giving away the Broadway dream vacation of a lifetime. One lucky winner will win a grand prize to be flown to New York with a guest to see seven shows, stay for an entire week at the Intercontinental New York Times Square Hotel, dine at some amazing restaurants, see some amazing attractions, for instance, go to the edge uh, with premium tickets, have champagne at the top and a photo album, Uh, go on shopping sprees at the shops at Hudson Yards, a private shopping spree at FAO Swartz where you go on a pre-opening toy soldier tour, Um, shopping spree at the Hershey's Chocolate World, Um, gift baskets galore. It's uh, go to broadwaysweepstakes.com to enter. I might Broadway sign up for this. Can I enter? Yeah. You, you can all <laughs> enter. You don't work okay. You don't work for me and I'm not being paid for this. So, you know, hey, uh, you can it's all enter. Broadway. Yeah, no, we're trying. Since I live in New York, I'll just take the miles for a future. <laughs> okay, well, we'd have to send you away and then you come back. So that'd be good. So uh, uh, we have until September 1st to enter uh, and then the winner will have six months to choose their date um, and hopefully Broadway will be back. And if not, we'll just delay that period when they can uh, they can fulfill their dream vacation. So if not, we could do the live version of The World to Come in my living room. Everyone's invited. Because we'll all fit <laughs> in your Manhattan living room. Well, until next time, I am Hugh Heisel, and this has been The World Behind The World to Come. Bye, everybody.
to come.